Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I turn to Scripture and our faith for insights on how to live a faithful and spiritual life. This week, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Paul's description of one body with many members, found in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul was writing to the community of Jesus' followers in Corinth because he found out that they had been having some problems living together. These early gatherings of believers would serve as the basis for the church, but they were kind of making up the rules of getting along with one another as they went. They were winging it. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here ends the reading. Paul is using the image of the body to represent what a church community is like, or what it can be like. At the time of his writing, there wasn't anything called a church, and the term Christian hadn't even been coined, but that's what this community of believers would morph into. There were obviously some serious problems going on, because Paul says to them, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Ouch! Paul is not happy with these people. There was sexual immorality going on among them. One member was suing another. Some were claiming more prestige because they had a closer relationship with Paul or other leaders than others. In other words, they were contradicting everything Paul said about living together as one body. Paul goes as far as disowning them and telling them that he's glad they weren't baptized in his name. Unfortunately, this type of dissension became a perennial feature of Christian churches of all denominations, and still is. Petty and not-so-petty bickering has driven many faithful people from one church to another, or even caused them to totally leave the church and adopt more private faith. Problems with people getting along are not limited to church communities. Discord is found in all types of communities and organizations of which we are part. We've had a hard time getting along as citizens of our country or of our local cities and towns. For evidence of that, just listen to the campaign rhetoric around the election. People look out primarily for their own interests. We sometimes run afoul of one another in our workplaces. Co-workers may be hard to get along with because we spend so much time with them and we may have competing interests with them. We're all, all concerned about our own success and advancement. And we often have problems getting along together, even in our families, which, when you think about it, is the most basic and important part of a community we live in. So let's look at some ways that we can live together in harmony. First of all is a simple realization. It's important to reflect on the fact that we are interdependent, not independent. In the famous words of John Donne's poem, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were as well as if a manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We Americans tend to have a counter-tendency to interdependence, and that's individualism. American President Herbert Hoover coined the term rugged individualism, and he saw that as a positive thing. When the American settlers struck out to conquer the vast western wilderness, they did so largely on their own. They had to develop the skills and strengths to go it alone, that or perish. The image of the lonesome cowboy out tending his herds on the range still looms large in our culture. We idolize and romanticize these gun-slinging loners. Those early settlers and explorers didn't have to develop social skills because the West was so sparsely populated. 
And that's the reason that towns in the West were such violent and savage places. People hadn't learned to live closely together with one another. But without this individualistic pioneer spirit, we wouldn't be where and who we are as a modern nation. But that's not true today. As our country becomes more densely populated and urbanized, we've had to find ways to get along and cooperate. In addition, as our country industrialized, workers became more specialized. Workers developed specialized skills, and the workplace required diverse specialists. Nobody could do it all. Factories functioned like giant machines with human cogs fulfilling their own functions. In order to work together, workers had to also learn to get along with one another. And this led to organized labor movements. So the first thing that we can do to ensure harmony among us is to simply admit and accept that we can't do it alone. As the Beatles sang in I Am the Walrus, I am he as you are he as you are me and we are all together. Maybe we can develop a new chant that testifies to our new belief in unity and cooperation. We are one body. We are one body. Say it with me. We are one body. Paul takes the idea of interdependence even further. He says that he should elevate the members with lower status to higher status. Now, he admittedly uses a rather homely physical metaphor in the following where he says, The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Well, whatever is Paul talking about when he refers to our less respectable members? To put it delicately, he's talking about our bodily private parts, which we keep clothed with special garments to protect them from public view. In a parallel manner, in society, we should treat the poor and those with lower status with greater respect, not lesser. One of the most important things that we can do to ensure the peaceful operation of any community of which we're a part is to treat the members with the lowest status with the greatest respect. Jesus illustrates this in his story of the Last Judgment. In Matthew 25, we read, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of God. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, 
When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food and thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw a stranger and welcomed you and naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick and in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, did you not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not, not even visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, I witnessed this with my father, who worked as a school custodian for all of his most adult life. Although his position could have been considered to hold the least status in a school, he was always treated with great respect. The teachers and other staff acknowledged that without him, that school couldn't function. He not only swept floors, kept the place clean, he fed the coal furnaces during the winter to keep the place warm. And his duties didn't end there. This was an elementary school, and he helped students put on their boots and zip up their coats in the winter. He was always there with a kind word or a hug when a student was having a bad day. When Groden students came back to visit, they always stopped to say hi to him first. He was never known as just a custodian. I learned a lesson. Later in my life, when I became a teacher, the custodian was the first person that I befriended. I knew that they were the, the ones that I would need to turn to more than anybody else in keeping my classroom functioning. And they would care for the children as well as me. In our society, everyone will benefit if we treat the poor and the dispossessed as though they are of great value, which, by the way, they are. If we can do that, if we can erase the invisible class lines that we unconsciously erect, we will function more efficiently with reduced social conflict and increased participation in the political process. In the end, we will all be better off. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one benefits, we all benefit. Our public policies as well as our personal behaviors should reflect these principles. In the workplace, the model of one body with many members is clearly important. The least skilled labor in a co company may well be the most important one from a practical standpoint. Without them, nothing gets done. Shared respect will lead to greater productivity and greater profits for all to share.
We assure that this happens through appropriate company policies and, and equitably shared resources. We also promote the body through the creation of work atmosphere and culture that truly values the contribution of every employee equally. Of course, in business, there is a difference in pay for different positions, but attention must be given to ensure equitable compensation for all. We should also include all employees in celebrating successes together. Promoting a spirit of unity in our country, in our workplaces, and in our homes is difficult, but it is within our control if we each are advocates for the policies and behaviors that promote it. A bigger challenge, however, faces us on a global scale where poor and developing nations find it difficult, if not impossible, to compete with powerful and rich nations of the developed world for shrinking resources. Until we learn the value of the least of these nations, we will continue to be plagued by war and global conflict. We can only pray and work for the day when we realize that we are one body, and when one suffers, we all suffer, so that one day we can all rejoice together in the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. Please come back again. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. God make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God give you peace and hold you in the palm of his hand.